Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I am here with Mark Sayers. How are you going, Mark? I'm going well. Great. Well, I guess we wanted to start by saying hello to all of the people out there that we can't see. Yes, yes. It, it's been really encouraging um, in this time. I just think how many of us have individual experiences that we're stuck at home or mm. you know, you're socially distancing, whatever you're doing, and it feels like there's this huge restriction. But we just wanted to just say what we're picking up from doing even just something like this is yes. just people writing in from all around the world um, who are listening and God's doing something where whilst it feels like we're being restricted, he's actually expanding his church in this time. Mm. And I know many of us have felt that in our nations. Um, but also, I just wanted to just say to people, that's happening internationally. You know, yes. I was able to be on a, you know, I was speaking to a group of leaders in South Africa last week in Southern Africa in Zimbabwe and South Africa. And it was just so encouraging to hear what God's doing in that country, you know, doing more today, India, Germany. And just how at this moment, all of a sudden we're closer because a Zoom call um, is a way in which we can learn together. And I just really think that God's doing this moment of unity. Um, so it's weird, like we're, people saying globalization's dead. Um, <laughs> it may be in the sense of like flying around and supply chains changing, but actually in a sense, the gospel is going out globally um, and technology is actually linking us in incredible ways. So wherever you are listening, um, we just really want to, I guess, send out our, you know, prayers and thoughts and encouragement mm. to you that even though we can't sometimes see it, there's a big thing that God's doing in the world at the moment that's just quite incredible. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's so exciting and encouraging to be a part of that. So we started a mini-series last week on formation and started by looking at uh, contemporary performative individualism and how it undermines the attempts of formation, particularly at the moment. Uh, Mark, why are we looking at formation? Why is this pertinent? Okay, so this is, I think this is really key to understand that, you know, I look at a lot of people listening are people who probably interacted with some of my work in terms of, it always sounds so pretentious, does it? Some of <laughs> some listening of to my, my work, work, you know, if you respect my work, uh, <laughs> that if, if, you've, if you've read some of my stuff, that um, a lot of it really is looking at the cultural context mm. and how do we do discipleship formation, evangelism, uh, in the cultural context in which we find ourselves in. And I'm just going to state this clearly. This needs adjusting because the cultural context has been radically changed by COVID-19. So in a sense, we need to adjust as we're going. So that doesn't mean like, you know, what I wrote before was wrong, but I learned, you know, I studied missiology and that's the study of, you know, the science of communicating the gospel across cultural contexts. And part of that as well is when you may go from, say, the West and you're communicating the gospel in Latin America or in, yeah. you know, Western Africa. And a similar thing's happened, that mm -hmm. we are experiencing a cultural change because of what is happening with this pandemic. And there's cultural changes locally. There's cultural changes broadly. Um, we're seeing just phenomenal change politically, um, economically, socially. So what that means is what we were doing and advocating for formation even six months ago has been radically disrupted, the environments that we're in. Um, so I felt it'd be important to talk about how that adjusts because the danger is what people are going to do is just keep driving into yesterday's solutions 
uh, with even greater force. Yes. And that's a quick road to irrelevance and, and a lack of flourishing in terms of our formation. So again, this is another, I guess, conversation about being adaptable and being resilient and being able to reframe leadership at this time. Yes, absolutely. So I guess, um, you know, what would be good to talk about this week mm-hmm. is maybe, maybe just to explain that change a little bit more. I, I've mentioned, um, I think it was in Disappearing Church, the experience that I would often have, you know, doing some travel for my, you know, writing and speaking. And you'd have this experience that you'd be somewhere in the world and increasingly these spaces that you found yourselves in, it could be an airport, a cafe, it could be a museum, a shopping center, a mall, that you found yourself and they all began to feel very similar. Yes. This sort of sleek Scandinavian design, Japanese minimalism, um, these spaces which were created for us that were big and airy mm. and you know had clean lines and this whole sort of world. And often you found yourself in these places and I'd have this moment where I might be on a trip or I'm in different countries and I would forget where I was. Yes. So bizarre. I'm having a coffee. I'm texting, you know, maybe treating my wife at home and doing some work stuff. And then I'm like, hang on, I'm in London. What? You know, <laughs> hang on, hang on, where am I? You know, this is bizarre. Or this other weird experience, you know, I talk about where you, you would go to like... Often, you know, you're on a thing. I didn't pack enough, and I need to, a new shirt, and I can't wash my clothes. And you know, you go to a Uniqlo store. So I've got Uniqlo shirts. I have no idea where in the world I bought them because I can have <laughs> the visual of the Uniqlo store, but it's it's all the same. And I talked about in Disappearing Church, Marc Auger calls these non places, mm. these modernist non places. And in a sense, that environment, what it was doing was disconnecting us and me from reality. Um, I could be in London or New York or Malaysia and I would forget where I was because there was this formation that that environment was doing of me to disconnect me from place, to disconnect me even from who I am and form me in a particular way that seemed unreal. And I think some of the pressure of that then created anxiety, a dislocation, it created pain and a lack of meaning and it oppressed us with this thing that you can be anything you can buy all the different outfits at Uniqlo you can reinvent yourself you could move from New York to Buenos Aires and nothing really changes you know yes. this, this is the mythology um, but what's really interesting is that has radically changed well first of all we're not in those buildings like the way we used to mm. you know none of us are thinking at this time of going to an airport you know um that uniqlo in melbourne is currently shut down yes um that the coffee shops uh, are still open but you can only get a takeaway takeout mm. coffee here in melbourne um, and that's similar around the world some places they're not even open mm. um, so what's really interesting though is that if you look at the design history of those modernist buildings and you trace that back to the beginning so end of the 19th century beginning of the 20th century there was a number of influences that went into those buildings but one of the reasons that that sort of sleek design modernist or you know eventually became what knows the international style was created was because our cities went through things like tuberculosis cholera yeah, the spanish flu and there was this design movement to move away from um you know, very ornate design, people squashed into buildings, not a whole lot of open space. So your classic big open mall, open open airport, there's an element where they almost look like hospitals. And that actually was deliberate. There was a, a quote by an architect who said around the, at the end of the 19th century, people are born in hospitals, 
they die in hospitals. Why not live in hospitals? <laughs> oh, feels a bit morbid. Um, and there's this actually interesting thing. So Davos, which is where the world's elite currently meet in Switzerland, mm-hmm. you know, there's the Davos Forum, and that's become a shorthand for the sort of global elite who decide, you know, the trends and 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 direction of the world, and they all gather in Davos in Switzerland every year for the Davos Forum, and people talk about Davos Man, mm-hmm. you know. Davos actually was, um, at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, was actually a sanatorium. As Europe (laughs) dealt with things like tuberculosis and consumption, people would go there to recover up in the hills because what they believed at that time was actually... They hadn't caught the science hadn't caught up fully with the fact that you know microbes and infections. They believed it was air, right. so they called it miasma. This sort of uh, uh, air was rotten. That air would rot, so we need bigger spaces. Yes. And so you know, a, there's a famous famous book by Thomas Mann called The Magic Mountain, and it's it's set in Davos with a group of Europeans who come together. They're all ill, and and there's this dual meaning there that. They're dealing with illness and they're actually dealing with the sort of spiritual, cultural sickness of Europe yeah. at the same time. And, and man's really predicting what would happen in the 20th century. Now, what's really interesting is a lot of influential people would go to Davos to actually recover. And so the hospital worlds and sanatoriums in the sort of Alps there then became a design influence for cities and big public spaces in America and mm-hmm. Europe. And so interestingly, what this means is that whilst our modernist buildings currently detach us from reality, if you go back far enough, there's a reminder that, hang on, no, these buildings were created because humans actually live in reality and plagues and pandemics are part of reality and sickness is part of reality. But that whole narrative is now separated. We we don't have any point of reference for that anymore. So what does that mean? How do we then look at these spaces, look at the way we live, look at our realities from the lens of this current pandemic. What yes. what do we do with that? Well, I think it's being done to us. Okay. <laughs> this, this is the switch. So if you think about it, the person who works, say, in downtown, you know, in, in, in London city centre, who mm-hmm. is trying to follow God and moves from the countryside, moves to London, and all around them there's this environment which is continually shaping them. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, go to the cafe, they work in an office space, they go to a shopping center and all of it is throwing these messages at them. So they then have to almost counterculturally choose to believe something different. They're learning from their church, which is saying, form yourself with these practices which will form you. Mm. And again, too, that was that, that's what I was advocating in so many of my books. But what's changed now is now that person is probably sitting in their flats can't get out, maybe get to walk. I think Britain just meant you could, you know, you can exercise unlimited now. Yeah. The environment isn't giving them a very different message. The environment is saying it's actually putting stress upon you. Will you have a job? Mm. Will you get sick? Um, will the social fabric begin to unravel where you are? And so what's actually happening is, and Bruno Makesh, who I am quoting endlessly at the moment, I think we mentioned this in one of our previous podcasts, had this great quote. He's talking more about the American context, but he described what's happening in America is it's the pandemic versus the American culture of unreality. And you can see that playing out, but I think it's broader than America. What's happening at the moment is the pandemic, which is reality, mm-hmm. is hitting our unreality that existed before. Yeah, okay. And what's really interesting is it's hard for us to grasp this because in a pandemic, what is the dominant thing is this statistic. 
So you think about it, every day the numbers go up. America just hit 80,000. Britain yeah. is now higher. And then you've got this thing in Australia where we're all shut down, but we've got very low numbers because the government's managed to, um, you know, respond really well. But then you've got these economic numbers. You know, mm. you've got this, um, you know, contraction of growth. You know, I think in Britain, they said it's unseen since the 1800s. Uh, sorry, 1700s. And, you know, you've got the slowdown that happened in the economy, I think it was over three or four years in America for the Great Depression has happened in three months. Mm. Um, you've got these mind-boggling unemployment figures. But we're out of we're out of synchronicity with those things because they haven't caught up yet. So they're just this unreality around a number. Now the other thing that we've been formed is that we've been so formed because we live in a video culture. Yes. And so much of that modernist world was also filled with screens mm-hmm. where we're constantly shown these aspirational screens of what life could be like. And so we will be more shaped and affected by a terrorist who kills two people or a murder in which someone's shot, if that's caught on video, that will have greater resonance with us than these figures going up. Yes. And, and what COVID-19 does is it kills vulnerable people, often people who are older, people who have pre-existing comorbidities, people who, who, who may already be ill. Um, it's, it's killing a lot of people who, who don't have access to healthcare. Yeah. And that's happening in these hidden spaces that we don't see. So there's an, a weird moment at the moment where there's a battle between reality and unreality. But also, I just want to say too, is that we have to be careful in ministry that we're not caught up in that. Yeah. <laughs> and we can move into this space of continuing like last season was still happening and not realizing the reality change that is occurring. Now, so much hope is, you know, that there's a vaccine in 18 months. Mm. There's a lot of questions we've spoken about before. We still don't have a vaccine for all the money that was... I remember in the 80s, the talk of the AIDS vaccine was going to come. Yes. It'll happen, you know, happen in 10 years. It's still, still not here. <laughs> Billions of dollars most likely have been spent on that. We still don't have a, a, a vaccine for the coronavirus as the common cold. SARS-1, mm. we don't have a vaccine from, from 2003. So there's this sense that the vaccine may come um, in 18 months... And even if the vaccine comes, we still have this economic firestorm coming at us. Yes. So the reality is that the world has profoundly changed. And how do we as leaders adapt and lead people in this new reality and form? So one thing that I think is really key to understand is Mm -hmm. the switch from an environment which undermines your formation to one now that actually can aid your formation. So embracing the situation. Embracing the situation. So if you think about it, you've got a continuum, right? So mm-hmm. imagine a continuum, and this is where it would be, <laughs> be good in video, but if you can imagine, listeners, I've got my two arms out <laughs> trying to illustrate something. but Like he's measuring a fish. Yes, it's like I've caught a giant fish. Um, so on one side, uh, you have someone with no stress on them uh-huh. um, will, in a sense, move to this state of sort of almost fragility because there's no stress upon them. Humans require stress for growth. Our muscles grow because you exercise them and stress is put upon them and they break and they grow back stronger. Yes. So if, there's, if someone who is, is just sitting in bed and you do not put any stress on your body, even just walking around making a cup of tea, you will atrophy. Yeah, okay. You atrophy, your body will then become increasingly more fragile. Okay. So the other side is that if you 
submit someone to incredible stress, there's a point where they will break and actually die. Yeah. So the person who lays in bed, who has no exercise, um, will atrophy and become fragile. The person who you then get to run nonstop without sleeping, without eating for 42 weeks, at some point they're going to collapse in exhaustion and die because- Don't they, do that. No, don't. don't. <laughs> That's the proviso for the <laughs> podcast. Don't do that. Okay. So our culture before these modernist spaces was trying to create a world which removed difficulty and removed stress from Yeah, us. right. So what that did was at the same time while saying, we're going to remove stress. This world is this wonderful space that you can sort of float through. So mm. therefore you can be anything. You can be this super high achiever person who has an incredible career, which is meaningful. You can travel the world. You can be super fit, be super cool, be into every you know amazing bit of information. Um, you can do that single, you can do that married. Whatever you're going to do, you're going to win. This was the high performance society. Yeah. Um, again, something I talked about in Disappearing Church that Byung-Chul Han talks about where you're actually oppressed by, in the past, it was like, he says, in the past, it was like, for most of history, it's like, this is what you shouldn't be doing. So the king would oppress you. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. But then we got oppressed, he argued, by what we could be doing. Yes. So the stress and, and anxiety that hovered around the fragile, the, mm-hmm. the, the low stress environment actually was more about our fragility. You know, so people would fall apart because, you know, this thing, they hadn't been able to achieve all these things, but mm-hmm. it was unreality. Yeah. The pandemic has come along and brought a dose of reality. And people keep saying, this, this is crazy. This is, I can't believe this is happening. This is actually more normal to history, as we said, than... Yes, the than stage, where we were living. The stage before. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting is, um, I just want to read a quote from an article that was in the Age newspaper here in Melbourne. Sure. And it was about a study done by the University of New South Wales about how people are coping um, with COVID-19 mm. and what personalities cope well. And it said this, that people who trend or tend towards perfectionism, particularly high achievers who were driven and competitive, are more likely to suffer burnout than those with a carefree personality during COVID-19. So what this is saying (laughs) is that this is crushing the high performance society. Now, there's still the people out there, like the people I saw exercising in their garage with really loud heavy metal, trying to just <laughs> crush it the other night when I went on my walk and my kids were laughing um, <laughs> at them. But that there's still people doing that stuff, but you still can't get on planes and go and sign deals overseas mm. and you can't go and do everything that you wanted to do before. So no longer are we oppressed by all the things you could be doing. We are in a little way, like, uh, you know, all this stuff I learned Portuguese while I was in lockdown whilst, you know, but still that's going to, people are going to still be in that place in eight months. Yes. You know, I'm seeing people who are coming to this point of realization. I'm seeing this pastorally. I'm seeing this relationally. who are like, man, I was running around like headless chicken. Yeah. So what this means is, is, and this is really key to grasp before the environment was working against our formation now the environment is aiding our formation. It's more of an ally. Now I'm not saying it's good, mm. but we're actually now have an environment which is difficult and it builds resilience. To have resilience, to go back to my illustration of two extremes, yes. one which creates fragility, one which creates, um, basically breaks you. 
there is an optimum band of stress which actually will grow you and build resilience. And so this is the invitation. This is the, the space to embrace formation. Yes. Got it. How about you... So we've, we've set up the environment. We understand kind of what was happening pre-COVID in terms of the space we were living in. Um, we're understanding now what the environment is like during COVID. How do we reframe it? Yes. From a leadership perspective, um, from an individual perspective about formation. So I'm not saying that COVID-19 is, is great, but I am saying in the midst of it, there's an opportunity <laughs> as it changes the environment. Okay, so a few just points. The first one is that there's an opportunity because the pandemic is reconnecting us to reality mm. and to build resilience, to be resilient disciples, to use Dave Kinnaman and Mark Matlock's term. We need to be reconnected to reality. The period before the pandemic was a virus of unreality. This pandemic is reconnecting us to reality. Therefore, that enables us as leaders to develop more realistic and thus effective strategies and for people to have a more realistic view of life, thus be able to respond. Um, there was an article uh, again to in, I think it was on the ABC here in Australia this, and it was by a, a novelist from Tasmania and she talked about Minnie Dark and she talked about how this had happened to her. So the first thing mm. was she was running around like a headless chicken trying to be a mum and a successful um, novelist and she said she'd said yes to all these things because she just wanted to maximise the opportunities for her children. She's now stuck in lockdown and she's like, I'm rediscovering what, life with in a sense limits really looks like mm. the second thing she said fascinatingly is what this pandemic is doing is reconnecting everyone to our sense of fragility our morbidity and actually the fact that governments can't solve everything that's actually a more realistic uh, view of life and that's an opening for the gospel because what's happening here is there's a narrative collapse. Mm -hmm. Societies go under great stress when there's a narrative collapse and the story falls apart. The Soviet Union in 1989, as that wall fell, when the Berlin Wall fell, that wasn't just the falling of a wall. That was the falling of the grand narrative of communism. Yes. That the world, workers of the world would unite and communism would eventually win and capitalism would collapse. When the wall fell, that narrative collapsed. So there is actually a narrative collapse happening. Don't run formation programs and strategies and discipleship uh, strategies for the last narrative. The narrative is collapsing. There's bits still there. We still had communism in, in China and, yes. and Cuba and Vietnam. So the, the, the narrative won't completely go away, but there is a collapse happening of the na narrative. And that means people are open to a new story. Okay, great. Next point. Okay, so... When you move from that low stress environment, but you get into that medium band of stress, which some of us are experiencing at the moment, that drives creativity and adaptation. If you'd said to, if you'd gone back in a time machine and said to us all in June 2019, the church across the world will effectively be closed. We won't be able to have services. All that volunteer stuff you're doing, gone. All your big leaders' meets, gone. Camps, gone. Conferences, gone. Traveling speakers, gone. Um, you would have, I would have predicted the church would completely collapse. Mm. It hasn't. 
actually what it's done is driving incredible creativity. And I'm seeing responses in tiny churches, big churches. Um, the fact that now we're watching worship songs where it's normal now and actually moving. I watched one like on Sunday night, I was watching another church and, and just the stitching together of this, this song of people in different places. And I, I would have never guessed that I could be so moved by the Holy yeah. Spirit by that. Yeah. That's just one thing. Only after a couple months of this. When you enter into a more stressful environment, it doesn't just build resilience, it also it builds creativity and adaptation. Great. All right, next point. Well, what's really interesting is that also what happens in a time like this, and this is where you know, people might be listening and in a sense hearing and going, so hang on, this sounds like the, the pandemic is good. What's going on here? There's a principle that's really important to realize biblically. And... Uh, uh, I forgot his first name, um, but um, I think it's Joseph. Joseph uh, Mangina uh, wrote a, a commentary on Revelation, and he had this line in it, um, and he said, "The powers, speaking of the powers which oppose God, cannot but help serve God's sanctifying of His church. Mm. The enemy sends against us these terrible things. Reality sends these terrible things against us. But what we learn on the cross is God turns all of that upside down." And actually God uses, which in a sense comes against us to destroy us, actually to build us up and sanctify us. Paul says, when I am weak, I am strong. Mm. And there's this sense that pressure, and you see this in the book of Revelation, that pressure upon a church where the church feels out of control is actually a good thing because it then drives that person, that church back to God. That's happening globally. We, we don't have services now. We can't do what we did before. But that has to drive us to God. Now, a lot of people haven't got there yet. A lot of people are still trying to beat the pandemic and come up with the ultimate strategy. We cannot do this in our own strength. Yeah. Just heaping more things for people to do. There's an element here where I think we just got to come to this point of realization. You can't do it all. You know, I'm realizing I'm, I'm giving up trying to do the perfect spiritual routine in my day at this time. Mm. That means I'm not, I'm still doing stuff. But homeschooling, um, trying to run a church, a staff team where I can't be with everyone. Tremendous pressure. And I realized that actually, there's actually a moment of grace in this. Yeah. There's a moment of grace where Jesus might say, look, you know, I know you can give me 10 minutes this morning, um, but that 10 minutes to me is so precious at this moment. So God takes that which comes against us and turns that into resilience and perseverance and 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 you know that that strength to actually stand firm in his gospel so good next point so in a sense this is also god if you look biblically there's there's this term of tests you know and all throughout scripture you see tests in um genesis where adam and eve fail a test humans jacob wrestling with you know the angel you see um all throughout the scriptures, these, you know, Moses going up against Pharaoh, just again and again, Abraham being asked to leave his land. Um, again and again, we see all of these tests mm. where humans are put in a highly stressful environment. And the choice is actually, in a sense, not to beat the environment, is to be obedient mm. and to come close to God, to stand in his presence and to actually choose to not try and be the mythic leader who is like the hero of the ancient world and of contemporary Marvel comics in Hollywood today, <laughs> who through their own strength beats the environment. Mm. Actually, instead, that what the test does is actually brings us closer to God. 
Now, what's interesting is that there's this term that scientists use called a, a fitness environment. Okay. That fitness environment is a difficult environment that means you have to adapt and grow. Otherwise, in a sense, it's going to wipe you out. War is strangely one of the places where so many inventions that we have today actually come from wartime because in a wartime, you've got no other option. You either get killed or you adapt. Yeah. And But battle actually, we talk about the term battle hardens, you know, a battle hardened soldier is one who has learned to flourish in the midst of battle. So in a sense, the scriptures understand that, that tests come upon us in difficult times. And many of us at this moment are actually going through tests as individuals, as leaders, the people you're, you're, you're leading are actually in tests. So there's a sense we've got to embrace the test, not run away from it, not mm. try and helicopter pastor and remove the difficult things. There's this invitation to let people step into the tests and actually say yes to God. So instead of removing the difficult things, help them and lead them to say yes to God and the growth that comes in the midst of difficulties. Yep, needed to hear that one. Um, <laughs> how about the next one? I think just lastly, I know a number of people have, have you know, read Reappearing Church. And in many ways, what I'm talking about here is that whole renewal process mm. um, where renewal flows from crisis. The change that has happened is it was almost like before we had to take people out of that symbolic modernist, beautiful, clean mall or coffee shop or airport and then sort of talk to them individually about perhaps the personal crises that maybe that's going through and then hope that leads to renewal. Yes. The environment has flipped to a crisis mm -hmm. and that means the prospects of renewal are greater and the invitation is greater to in this time, God will build us and prepare us and that out of that, this incredible creativity, this incredible renewal, this incredible flourishing, this incredible adaptation as we push deeper into walking with God will flow out. So we need to understand, to summarize, that formation now, we still need to help form people, yep. but it's more like a coach now. Klaswitz, the great German strategist, talked about this term friction, um, and it meant when someone had left the military academy and yeah. all the theories that they had, yeah. and then all of a sudden they're in the fog of war, that's the real moment. That's happened to us now. I feel like before we're in the academy and we're got, you know, I'm th throwing around ideas around post-Christian stuff, okay, we're on the battlefield now. And so on the battlefield in the midst of war, the distance between your, your ideals and ideology and the reality yes. is brought very close. But what a learning opportunity to actually now as leaders learn what real renewal that God wants to give us, not based on our theorizing, but actually the reality of following him closely where we're not in control. What an incredible invitation. So much to reflect on there. Thank you so much, Mark, for taking us through that. We'll be back next week with more on formation. 